Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 45 called Katie. So guys, on this episode, I'm proud to partner with Conceivabilities, a leading surrogacy and egg donation agency that has been around for 24 years with thousands of babies born. They believe that everyone who wants to be a parent can be a parent. And I love that. And I totally agree. Conceivabilities prides themselves on matching intended parents with the perfect surrogate or egg donor. They've even trademarked the process they use called matching matters. They support the intended parents and surrogates throughout the entire journey, legal, escrow, pregnancy management, insurance, and every other aspect. The Conceivabilities team includes nurses, mental health workers, lawyers, and other professionals to guide the process. If surrogacy or egg donation is part of your journey, make sure to check out conceivabilities.com and make sure to tell them Infertile AF sent you. Again, it's conceivabilities, C-O-N-C-E-I-V-E-A-B-I-L-I-T-E-S.com. Thank you. So if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that not all of these stories end with babies. And this is one of those stories. I met Katie through Instagram. And she actually wrote me a note and we're going to talk about it during our interview. So I don't want to give that away and say what she said, but she caught my attention and I reached out to her and today she's going to tell us her story, which includes four years of infertility, including a failed IVF cycle, which brought her to a place where she says she was stripped down to her core. So today she is moving on and she's decided to design an unexpectedly child-free life as she says she has a website called chasingcreation.org where she tells stories of other people who've gone through infertility and decided to craft a child-free life and it's a really interesting perspective and i'm so so glad she reached out to me and i'm so glad that we can share her story today so thank you katie for writing to me and thank you for telling your story. Without further ado, this is Katie's infertility story. Hi, Katie. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad we connected. I've been following you on Instagram. Your Instagram handle is chasing creation, chasing.creation, I should say. Yes. And I just want to start with a post that you put recently that really, it was so important. And I saw it and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. And it was a picture of you and you're holding a sign and it says, infertility stripped me to my core, but every day I'm building new beautiful layers in my child-free life. So I would say just the little that I do know about you, that's kind of the message that you're putting out there. So you are child-free after infertility struggles. So tell me about that post and then we'll get into your whole story. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess that is kind of the foundational message of what I try to do with Chasing Creation. And I think that, you know, infertility is something that nobody plans on when they start trying to become a parent. And I never thought throughout my infertility journey that the ending would be that I didn't have a kid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I went through four years of infertility, had a failed IVF cycle, and at some point just got 
to this place where I felt like I, I didn't have anything left to give. I really did feel stripped down to my core. I mean, I was struggling with depression and anxiety, and I feel like so much of my identity had been absorbed into this one piece of my life, which was trying to become a mom, that everything else fell away. I wasn't really talking to my friends much. I didn't want to be around people. I had let a lot of my hobbies go. The infertility piece just became all consuming that it was how I was starting to identify myself and like the only thing in my life that I was focusing on. I mean, obviously, like I still kept my work going and I had, you know, my husband and other relationships, but it just, it really does take so much from you. And the longer it went on, the more it was taking. And so I just got to this place where, you know, for my mental health, for my physical health, for my relationships, I just decided that the best path for me was to walk away from infertility without a baby and start to put that energy back into rebuilding my life and deciding what I wanted it to look like without a kid, which is something I hadn't really imagined because my whole life I'd planned to be a mom. Um, And so I think it was this kind of having to reroute and redirect and say, okay, like this didn't work out the way I thought it was going to, but that doesn't mean that this is the end of like who I am. There are so many other aspects that used to be a part of me. And how can I start incorporating those back into my life and becoming like this full vibrant person that I used to be? And so I think the last two years, um, I had a hysterectomy for health reasons two years ago. And so since then, I've just been really focusing on how do I work through the grief and kind of rebuild those other aspects of my identity and think about who who I want to become now that I, that piece of motherhood is not going to be a part of my life. Like what other things do I want to fill that space with? Absolutely. Wow. There's so much to unpack in what you just said. So <laughs> if you don't mind, let's just start at the beginning of when you started trying. Tell me about how old were you? When was it? And what happened when, when you guys started to try? Sure. Um, let's see. I'm trying to remember exactly how old I was. I think I was like 30, uh, no, like 29, maybe 28, 29, Mm -hmm. maybe 30, I don't know, somewhere around there. But I had been married for seven or eight years and we had for a number of reasons not tried up until that point. And then we got to a place where we were ready and I am kind of a perfectionist and I love researching things. So anything I do, I dive deep. So before we even started trying to get pregnant, I had read like a million books on fertility and (laughs) you know, how do you try? I've been tracking my ovulation for like a year. Uh, so I knew exactly when I ovulated. So I felt like I was going to be so methodical and it would just happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't happening. So for about a year, we tried without intervention and I had some ideas of what I thought it could be. And so I went to a doctor and we talked through some different things and um, and you know how infertility is. It's like you go down that road and all of a sudden your life is just filled with doctor's appointments and testing and So through that process, the biggest thing that came out of it is I found that I had uterine polyps, uterine fibroids, endometriosis. It was like stage four, pretty severe endometriosis. Mm -hmm. So that was huge for me because I had had pain for, uh, since I started my period when I was 12, but none of that had ever been diagnosed. Wow. Had you gone to doctors telling them that you were in pain and it just was missed or like, how did, how was was it? 12. (laughs) How did they not diagnose that? So I think one thing that's really hard is the only way to diagnose endometriosis is to have laparoscopic surgery. Right. So they actually 
it's kind of hard because you have to be pretty sure you have it in order to be willing to have the surgery just to check for it. Mm. Um, now, once they're in there, they can do the surgery to, you know, remove as much of it as they can. And if you go to a really skilled surgeon, they can get most of it out, but mm-hmm. you know, there's no cure for it and there's no right. easy way to diagnose it. So I think for doctors, even if they do think that you may have endometriosis, they will typically just say, well, go on birth control. And and that's what happened to me. I, I started complaining about my periods when I was 12, when they started mm-hmm. and doctors would just say, well, just go on birth control. It'll help you have better periods. And right. You know, that's all we can offer. So right. I guess it makes sense. They don't want to do this invasive process if they don't have to, but it's so frustrating that that's the only way that they can kind of diagnose it. You know, hopefully they can come up with something better in the future. Yeah, I know they're working on blood tests. I don't know how you know close those are out, but I know that's something they're trying to come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you go on birth control at 12? Uh, I think when I was like 13, yeah. Okay. I, I was on birth control for most of my life. Did it help? Yeah, it did help with symptoms. I mean, I still had bad periods. And then actually I stopped taking birth control maybe four or five years before I started trying to conceive. And that's when my symptoms got really bad. And mm-hmm. by the time I was starting to try to get pregnant, I was in daily, like severe pain and had still not been diagnosed or, I mean, it's one thing to say, well, yeah, they don't want to do the laparoscopic surgery until they're pretty sure that you have it. But endometriosis was never even suggested to me by a doctor. So I didn't even know that that could be a possibility to make the decision whether I wanted to go through that Mm -hmm. Um, until I got into the infertility community. And the RE that I was seeing was the first person who saw it. And what was frustrating is she actually did see that I had what are called endometriomas, which are like due to endometriosis, but they're like blood filled cysts that are in your ovaries. Mm. And so she could see those on an ultrasound and said, you know, well, I can't hundred percent diagnose you till you get surgery, but you wouldn't have these unless you have endometriosis. So it was frustrating that there was like this visual thing that could be seen with something as simple as an ultrasound that no one had thought to do. Right, right. Well, you know what? By talking about it right now, you're helping people. You know, somebody might be going through that and not realize that it is endometriosis. And I know it's such a silent disease that people have to deal with, and it's so painful for so many people. So it's good to just spread any information out there about it. Yeah, I do my best with that. Yeah. So then what happened next? So that kind of put me at a crossroads of do I want to keep focusing on my fertility or do I want to? look towards options that could help with my pain relief. Because like I said, I was in this daily, really bad pain. And then my periods were just like agonizing. And so I ended up talking to some endometriosis specialists and I was getting different recommendations. So my RE was saying, you should just go straight to IVF and your chances are just as good as someone who didn't have endometriosis with IVF. And so she was saying, you know, I wouldn't worry about the surgery, just go straight to IVF. When I talked to endometriosis surgeons, their advice was, you know, you're in pain. Why don't we treat the endometriosis first, get you to a more pain-free place? And by removing the endometriosis, the endometriomas, the fibroids, your chances of pregnancy are probably going to be higher, whether it's natural, you know, you may be able to get pregnant naturally after, or, you know, you could still do IVF, but let's get the disease taken care of. And so I decided to have surgery for endometriosis. So I did that. They removed um, uterine polyps, fibroids, and endometriosis from really all over my pelvic area. I had it on almost all my organs. It was just everywhere. So 
so I had that surgery. And did you then, feel better after the surgery? Did it make a difference? Yeah, actually, I felt amazing. It was like the first time since probably as a teenager that I was, I mean, I still had some pain, but it was like at a level where I didn't have to build my life around it. Like I didn't mm-hmm. have to worry about having to cancel plans or am I going to be able to go on this trip? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was nice. Um, but I ended up deciding to do an IVF cycle. I was in this like incredibly lucky position where my employer would cover three rounds at a hundred percent. Wow. And so I had in my mind, like, well, of course I'll get pregnant. Like who gets free IVF cycles? Like, of course, IVF <laughs> is the thing that you do when other things don't work and I have right. access to it. So of course I'll end up getting pregnant. So we did one IVF cycle. Uh, well, we did the retrieval and I only had, I think they retrieved seven, seven eggs and those all fertilized, but I wanted to do PGS testing. And mm-hmm. um, by the time they got to day five, I think we had three left and they all came back as not viable. So I ended that, you know, IVF process without any viable embryos. To yeah. How did that feel to get those results? Uh, it was, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised because like I said, I just had this thing in my mind of like, you do IVF when other things don't work. And it's just this thing that works. Mm -hmm. I know now that that was kind of naive going into it when you look at the statistics, but I think I just, I was very optimistic. Mm -hmm. And so that was pretty crushing. And I think at that point, that's when I really had to do some deep soul searching because within a few months of that, my symptoms got terrible again. They were as bad as they ever had been. And so I found myself facing another decision of like, do I want to do a second IVF cycle or do I want to have another surgery? Mm -hmm. Um, It's so wild how endometriosis is like relentless. It seems like, you know, it's, it's never, you're never really fully cured from it. Right. And it just, even if you get rid of some of it, it comes back and it seems to come back with a vengeance from what people have told me. Yeah. I mean, would you say? So, yeah, I mean, it's true that there's no cure for it for sure. The best like gold standard of treatment right now is to find a doctor who performs excision, which the difference is that they actually cut down to, I mean, the root isn't the right word, but like they get down underneath the endometriosis lesion and take the entire thing out. Mm Mm-hmm. And the difference is that most doctors perform something called ablation, which is where they're just burning off the top layer. Right. Okay. And that's been shown to be pretty ineffective. So the issue is to get to one of these excision specialists, they're doing high volume surgeries where this is pretty much all they do. Mm-hmm. And they're very skilled at it. They can find it in places that other doctors might miss. They can get rid of it. And it actually does have very high success rate. So most women who go through, if they can find like a top surgeon in this, you probably won't need another surgery. Like you may not be a hundred percent pain-free, but some women are. So it is definitely the gold standard. And my surgeon was pretty confident that I would never need another surgery or have like terrible symptoms again. Okay. So you did have that done? I did have that done. So I think I was just that rare case. The next surgeon I talked to said he thought it was irresponsible that the RE did IVF on me because he's, he felt like it was due to a lot of the hormones that they, that you have to take for an IVF cycle. Right. But I got really conflicting information because my RE said, no, there's no way that this will cause any, you know, it won't make your endometriosis worse and won't make your fibroids Mm -hmm. worse. 
Yeah, we've talked about that. Said it would. It's hard because I yeah. got conflicting information. We've talked about that. It's come up in a couple of different episodes with endometriosis conversations. That you know, the drugs does it perpetuate it? Does it affect it? You know, there's there's conflicting. I don't know if there's really a right answer. I guess everybody's different, right? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I guess so. And I don't know if there's been enough research on it to to really know for sure, like from a medical perspective. But I know in my case, whether it was the drugs or something else, you know, my symptoms were back with a vengeance. And I think because I had multiple things going on, it was hard for me to sort through what was causing the pain because my surgeries were a year apart. And at my second surgery, I did have more fibroids. Like I had one fibroid that was like the size of a fist. So that had grown within that year to be that big. Mm-hmm. So that could have been causing pain too. So it's kind of hard right. to know exactly what was causing what, but. Okay. So you're trying to decide at this point if you're going to do another cycle or have the surgery. Is that where we're at now? Yeah. So I was seeing an amazing therapist and the kind of key turning point for me was I had moved to a new city. So I was going to see a new RE and I went in for my consultation appointment. And as soon as I walked into the office I just started shaking. I my t- my eyes got teary. I just I got like a pit in my stomach. I just wanted to run out of there. Like I had this just like physical visceral reaction to being in the office. And wow. why do you think that is? I think I had just like the strain and stress it had put on me for the three and a half years I was going through infertility and like the heartbreak of like getting yourself prepared every month for like this hope that you'll get a positive Mm -hmm. and then seeing that negative test every month or getting your period every month. And I think that I, my optimism about IVF was also kind of waning at that point because I had had, you know, no viable embryos the first cycle and just knowing how how much pain I was in and Mm -hmm that if it was that the medications that had been contributing to making that worse, that doing another IVF cycle may be very detrimental to my body. So I think it was just like knowing what another IVF cycle would mean for my mental health, for my body, for my heart. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It just was a lot. So I had the consultation and that doctor actually did say like, yeah, if you go through this, you'll probably need a second surgery right after because it probably is going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. So he recommended that I had all have all of my blood work redone, you know, test my AMH, my FSH and all the things to see where I was at after surgery. And I found myself in my therapist's office talking to her. And I kept saying like, I feel like I should just do the testing, whether or not I do another IVF cycle, because maybe the results will come back as really bad. Like maybe my ovarian function has gotten a lot worse over the years since my surgery and maybe they'll come up as really bad and that will help me feel better about not doing another IVF cycle, like help Mm -hmm. me justify it to myself. And she just said to me, like, you don't have to justify it to anyone and you don't have to justify it to yourself. Like if you're at a place where you want to put your health first that's okay. Like you can stop trying. I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) Seriously, that is so important. 
Well, and what's crazy is like no one else. I mean, my husband had said that to me because all along, I think he was more concerned about me and my health and how I was doing, but no one else in my life had really said that to me. The message is always never give up, keep going. You have to keep trying. Right. And it's, I think it's important to say that that's okay too, right? You know, it's, it's okay to have that perspective if that's right for you, but you know, there isn't much light that's shined on what you were going through, which is finally making a decision to stop trying because it was just so painful and what you were going through physically and mentally and everything, you know, you got to a point where that was the best decision for you. And I love that you said putting your health first, because I think people sometimes push that aside. You know, you get so laser focused on this and you forget that everything else is kind of falling by the wayside. So I know that's not an easy decision to make and it wasn't for you. And I'd love to talk more about how you, you know, got to that decision, but I just want to commend you for, for doing, for giving yourself that option, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, it was really, really hard because I honestly, um, I grew up uh, Mormon and Mm -hmm. I I was not Mormon at the time, but I think the, the ideas that they have about motherhood, which is, you know, in the Mormon church's view, it is like the role of women. Yeah. That is your purpose on the earth is to be a mom. And I, it was just, I had so much wrapped up in motherhood and my dreams about what that was going to look like. And it was really hard to let go of. And I think there was like these two different pieces of one was making that decision and knowing what it would mean for my life and having to navigate what, how I was going to spend the rest of my life without kids when I was planning on having them. And, you know, now I had to kind of re redefine what that would look like. But then the other part was just also managing other people's expectations or reactions. And I think that part was almost just as hard because I felt like I would be seen as not wanting to be a mom as much as someone else did. Or like, if I really Mm -hmm. had wanted it, then I had to sacrifice everything I had. I never could stop until it happened or I hit menopause. Like like you just had to do everything within your power or else you must not have really wanted it. And that was a really hard thing to think that that was like other people's perception of me. Yeah. The judgment that's going to come. And I think that you know, looking at the post that I had mentioned earlier, where you the picture of you saying infertility stripping me in my core, I do want to talk about, there were some comments that were made on there. And I want to talk about that because I know that's part of this journey for you. And if you don't mind, you know, somebody wrote, you can always adopt with like a emoji where they're like rolling their eyes. Doesn't mean a woman has a uterus. She has to pop something out. No. I mean, that grammatically makes no yeah. sense. So this person's <laughs> I, a complete idiot. But, and then somebody else replied, you can understand the disappointment of not being able to carry your own child and experience pregnancy. Avi, adoption is an option, but she's still allowed to express her feelings. So people are having this debate about what you said, which I think is a real thing. So talk to me about that. Like when you get, we hear a comment like that, well, you can always adopt. What does that, how does that make you feel? Oh, I mean... <laughs> It's hard. And I still have people saying, oh, because I, I have my, I guess we didn't really finish this, but the the end of my fertility journey was that I did end up, instead of doing the IVF cycle, having a hysterectomy and another surgery where they, they did excision of the endometriosis again and and did the hysterectomy. So, but okay, I did- wait, sorry. I didn't mean to oh, breeze yeah. past that because that's a no, huge no. thing. So let's actually, let's talk about that first. So okay. when did you, why did they decide on a hysterectomy? Because that's pretty extreme, obviously, right? 
Yeah. So that was actually kind of my choice. I mean, what I did was when I talked to my surgeon and he is one of the top experts on endometriosis and, but I also had the fibroids and I had just been in so much pain for so long that I basically said to him, what are my best options for having a pain-free life? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talked about all the different options and I should point out because this is a huge thing within the endometriosis community that everyone is working really hard to spread awareness that a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. And so I think sometimes doctors recommend that and, you know, as a cure and it's not. So I did know Mm -hmm. going into it that it wasn't going to be a cure and that I did need to have the excision surgery along with it so that they were removing the endometriosis from my body. And and my doctor was great. He basically said, you know, I'm not paternalistic. I will give you all of the options and the information and, you know, talk to you about those. But at the end of the day, you know, this is your body. You can make your own decision about what you think is best. And he did give me the statistics and, you know, the pros and cons of everything. But um, I, it was a just just a decision that I made personally because I wanted to give myself the best chance for just having a healthy, pain-free life, and knowing that the fibroids too were so aggressive that you know I had grown one that was the size of my fist in less than a year, wow. which is kind of scary. So I didn't want to have to worry about those just coming right back again. Mm-hmm. So how was the surgery and everything in the recovery? Um, the recovery was actually easier than my, than my previous one. And I think it, as weird as this sounds because of everything I've been through it, there was a lot of grief that came along with it, but it did also feel like this kind of weight was lifted off of my shoulders of like, this decision is final. And now I really can just focus on creating my plan B and like moving forward in this other direction. So at the end of the day, were you, were you happy with that decision? Yes, absolutely. I, I'm not a hundred percent pain-free, but I have never felt this good in my life. Like I just started an exercise routine and it's the first time I've actually been able to exercise in like 10 years because even just jumping or doing anything would have Mm -hmm. killed me. So the, the level of pain that I'm in now is like so small compared to what it was that I can just like live my life. And I had, I think over 15 trips this year, like where I was flying and I didn't have to worry about scheduling those because I just knew that I wasn't going to be, you know, in bed in pain and not being able to move. So it's been amazing. I don't regret it at all. Right. So in a way you got your life back. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So can we dive into some of those comments or like things that people say? So this, this woman that says you can always adopt, tell me about how does that make you feel when you hear something like that? So I've thought, I've thought a lot about this because it, I think you have to be thoughtful about how you answer those questions because you know, they're going to happen. Like my entire life, I will continue to get these kind of comments. And, you know, I also get comments of like, well, you still have an ovary. Why don't you do surrogacy? Like people could not accept if you say like, I'm, I'm done with this part of my life. I'm moving on to something else. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for people to accept. And I think part of it is because there's no longer, they don't see hope in the story anymore. People mm-hmm. want that like happy ending. They want to see like the hope. They want to see that the person who struggles and works really hard to achieve this dream that they want 
that they get that in the end and they get that happy ending that they want. And I think part of the issue is that nobody sees getting to a place where you say, okay, like this, this is no longer a part of my journey. I'm going to now move in this other direction. They don't see that as hopeful. Mm-hmm. They see the grief and the pain. They can't imagine that someone can have a happy life without kids or right. that it's possible to heal from that and, and have as good of a life as I would have if I had had a kid. And so that I think that's where the comments come that always end up focusing on that miracle baby, no matter how slim the options are or no matter how many times I say, look, this isn't for me anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. So I think the adoption thing in particular, I think comes from a lack of education from a lot of people's parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you really look at what adoption entails, I think it's, you know, an amazing, miraculous thing for people who who adopt. It's beautiful. But the flip side of it is that it can take years. It can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. You don't have guarantees. Right. And there can be ethical issues with it. So you do have to be really aware of those. Right. Um, and I didn't so, realize that either until I started doing this podcast and talking to people who had gone through adoptions and failed adoptions, actually. I didn't even know that was a thing. I was like, oh, it's, you know, I was one of those naive people that thought, you know, if you want to adopt, adopt. I didn't realize that there, it was so complicated and that sometimes, you know, the the birth mother, you know, sometimes doesn't have the right intentions or sometimes they're in it for the money. And obviously this is, you know, just certain cases, not making a generalization at all, but that it can go totally sideways. I had no idea. Oh, absolutely. And like, you know, even if you adopt through the foster care system, the goal of foster care is, is to keep children with their families or with, you know, extended family whenever Mm -hmm. possible. And so there's always going to be that. I mean, not always, some adoptions are finalized through that, but that's not from the system's perspective, like you're not their first goal. Right. Of like getting, getting them, getting like an adoption for you. The first totally. goal is for reunification. And so it's, there's no guarantees there. And I, I think for me, it was just a matter of, I felt like my life had been on pause for four years mm-hmm. while I was going through infertility. And I felt like all of the reasons I was wanting to stop trying physically for a baby, like, you know, my mental health, my, my ability to keep processing heartbreak every month and like handling that grief. Right. I just felt like going into adoption, it's day one of a new path. I don't get credit for like the four years of heartbreak I just went through, like totally starting over. Yes. And I just felt like I don't have this in me to start this new process that it may take years and end up in heartbreak again or end up having to deal with the not knowing if I'm going to be a mom or not. And that was affecting all of my decisions that I was making for my career, where I wanted to live, like just life path. I just wanted to kind of know where I was and be able to plan again. Mm -hmm. Completely. And I think it's so important that you're spreading the message and I want to get into your website. And I also found a message that you sent me, which totally opened my eyes and I want to read it if that's okay with you, but (laughs) just spreading the message that it's okay to stop trying. It doesn't, you know, happy ending doesn't always have to mean babies. Yes. You know, you're showing 
you are the direct picture of somebody who has a happy ending and it doesn't mean babies. So I think it's so wonderful that you're doing that and making, you know, the other women in your position feel that it's okay. Cause I think there's, it's so complicated and there's so much pressure and there's so much judgment and all of it, you know? So thank you for doing that. So yeah, you sent me a DM and if you don't mind, I want to read it because it really, I mean, I had been following you on Instagram anyway, and I, I guess it just kind of opened my eyes and I'm so I glad. I don't that, remember what it is, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read what you, it was sweet, but it was true. And it kind of was like, it gave me a jolt and made me realize that like the whole point of this podcast is that I want to be diverse and I want to share all these different outcomes of this story, you know, these journeys and yours is just one of, of many, but you know, most of the stories that I, that I talk about do end up with, as you say, like a miracle baby. And it's not by design. It's just because those are, you know, the people that are talking about it more, I would say. So anyway, you wrote me and you said, I'm loving your podcast. (laughs) You're such a great interviewer. It's such an important topic. I'm hoping in the future you'll include more stories from women whose infertility journeys don't end with a baby. Statistically, there are a ton of us, but I rarely see our voices represented. I appreciate the interview you did with Donna, who was in the first season, but also found the message focused on being a cautionary tale of what happens when you start too late. I would love to hear some stories of women who are adapted, reinvented, and embraced their life despite not having children. While I didn't have the outcome I wanted, I also don't want to be pitied for the rest of my life. I have to believe that a life without kids is still worthwhile and filled with joy, love, and meaning. Please feature these stories too. And I wrote you back and I said, oh my gosh, you're so right. Please email me. Let's set up a time to talk. Thank you so much, Love Allie. So (laughs) I'm so glad that, I'm really so glad that you wrote to me because like I said, that really opened my eyes to a whole different segment of, you know, women that I wasn't representing. So I'm happy to do that with you today. And thank you for, for doing that. Yeah. Well, and I so appreciate your willingness to feature our voices because I do think that it's like when I was going through infertility, I did find a lot of avenues for support. And when I made the decision to stop trying, it was so hard for me to find that community, Mm -hmm. those voices, you know, the stories. And I do love your podcast, but I will have to say, I will brace myself before I listen to it by trying to, sometimes I'll skip forward to see like, totally. if they end up having a kid because I want to I get be prepared it. for that. I get it. <laughs> but, I get it. But it's great. And I, and I think what you're doing is so important to spread awareness about infertility and what it's like to go through it because it is brutal. Like no matter your outcome, it is so brutal right. and life-changing. So you made the decision. Your life is going in this direction that you hadn't planned. I love that you said to me that you don't want to be pitied. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, I'm sure that people are like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it didn't work out for you. You probably get that a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I I like have a hard time putting this into words because I think maybe it comes down to the difference between compassion and empathy for how difficult the experience is. But then to me, the difference between that and pity is that the pity, I feel like comes from that belief that my life is now less than, or Mm. I am not going to be able to find ways to experience real joy or love or meaning because I don't have kids. And so I don't want to be looked at as, 
I mean, I think a lot of times even in like films and books and, you know, characters are portrayed as women who are childless are portrayed a lot of times as these like pitiful characters that you just have to feel bad for because their lives are like so shallow. And right. So I think that's the difference maybe is like, I, I want understanding and compassion for what I've been through and how difficult it was, but not the pity part that's nobody wants pity, no matter your situation. It just is a terrible, a terrible thing to feel. Right. Another thing that you're, you are involved in is there's a webinar called Embracing a Life Without Kids, How to Know If You're Ready. So for someone who might be listening, who might be going through it in the thick of it, kind of wanting to stop trying, kind of wanting to go the childless route, how do they know if they're ready? What would you say to somebody who's not quite sure? Oh, well, I don't think there's like a, a short answer that can fit into like a clip here, but I, I would say that- <laughs> No, I want one soundbite that applies to everybody. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I think it is so personal because for right. someone, the right time may be as soon as they find out they're inf- infertile and they are just kind of done with it. Like that's a totally valid, justified place to be. Right. And for someone else, that may mean- going through 10 rounds of IVF and having multiple miscarriages and, you know, going through just about anything you can go through, you know, having failed adoptions. And then it may be that they're just feeling like they're running out of options or steam. So I think it's like, it could be anywhere in between and everyone's journeys are so personal that I, I don't have a way of saying like, you have to go through this many rounds of something or do this thing. Right. But I will say that listening to yourself to know when you maybe are feeling like you've sacrificed as much as you're willing to and being able to consider that as an option throughout your journey. Like I think for a long time, I wouldn't even think about the fact that this could end without a kid. It just was too painful. Mm -hmm. And at some point, even when I was thinking about doing my second IVF cycle, I started finding some books from women who were child-free after infertility and reading their stories and thinking about what my life would look like and at least kind of dipping my toe into that. And I think I had to get to a place where I felt like, you know what, I think I can be okay if this Mm -hmm. outcome happens. And I got to that place, not entirely, but I was getting there even while I was still trying and considering another IVF cycle. So I don't know. I think it's, you shouldn't ever make the decision right after you've been through like a failed procedure or had like a devastating heartbreak, like Mm -hmm. give yourself some time to heal and feel stronger and just take your time with it. You know, I I just think that it's something that it may take years to get to that place or it may come really quickly, but I I don't know. This is so hard to answer like in a short form because no, it's, you're doing a great job. Yeah, no, I think you're right. There's not a, an easy answer, but I think what you just said makes tons of sense. Another thing that you had on your Instagram that really, again, stopped me in my tracks and just made me think was this quote that says, motherhood is not a morally superior choice. So tell me about that and what that means to you. Yeah, so that was actually a quote by Dr. Julie Hanks, who is a Mormon therapist in Utah. And so I think that one particularly hit me when I saw it on her Instagram and and then re um, put it into you know a quote on mine. But it hit me really hard, I think, personally, because she is Mormon and that was such a big part of my journey was like letting go of those concepts of motherhood 
that were really ingrained in in me, even though I wasn't Mormon anymore. And so I think seeing that like really meant a lot, but I, I think that it just goes back to that idea of feeling like somehow if women don't have children, they're less than, or they, you know, didn't make the right decision or they aren't going to have as much joy and meaning in their lives. And I think you know, a lot of people do think about as a moral decision, a lot of religions, like you've heard the Pope say that women who are child free by choice are selfish and that it's like a wrong, morally wrong thing to not have kids. Yeah. Um, So I think you, you know, you hear that. And I think especially from a religious perspective, that can be, there can be a lot of pressure on that. It is like a moral decision to have kids and it's like your obligation and your duty to do it. Yeah. That's so antiquated, right? It's like, I mean, it feels like it. Yeah. But but you still Um, see those quotes coming up. So completely, completely. It's just, it's, it's wild that, you know, people would put pressure on other people to, to do that and make, you know, it's like adding insult to injury. You're already having a hard enough time, but I would love to focus on, you know, where you're at now and the positive stuff that you're doing. And, you know, you talk about building a life full of joy and love and meaning. So tell me, what does your life look like now? Yeah. So a lot of the things I have been trying to refocus on are the things that used to bring me a lot of joy before my infertility started. So Mm -hmm. it's been, you know, reinvesting in my relationship. So my relationship with my husband and, you know, my nieces and nephews and my siblings and my parents, and then also rebuilding like a friend network, because like I said, I really lost touch with a lot of friends Yeah. Um, Just because I was going through such a hard time and wasn't very good at reaching out and staying connected. But I moved to this new city a few, like, I guess it's been a year and a half ago. And um, I got on Bumble BFF, which is the friend version of Bumble. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And I've made an amazing network of friends here. And so I have, you know, some really great friendships that I've made. So I think like rebuilding that social support system has been like really key to my healing. And through Bumble BFF, I was able to connect with other women who are child-free. And that's been really nice too, to have support from that community. Yeah. Uh, But then, you know, part of, it's been really kind of wild because when we decided we definitely were not going to be parents, we were able to look at our lives and say, okay, what are like decisions that maybe we've made that put things off uh, because we were holding that space for kids. Mm-hmm. And so we have made some pretty big changes. Like my, uh, my husband and I moved to our current location, which is like in the Smoky Mountains. We bought a cabin Wow! Um, because I just told him like, I want to feel connected to nature. I want to be in a place that feels like a sanctuary and just feels peaceful. And I have that now. So, um, it's, it's been lovely and I'm doing, I I love doing home renovation projects. So I spend a lot of time doing remodeling projects, which is very therapeutic for me because I think there's something about having more control over the outcome and taking on like a project and getting to envision what I want it to look like and then trying to get it there. Right. like this beautiful space that I've created. Yeah. I think that's one of the things about infertility that comes up again and again is like the lack of control. Yes. You know, so (laughs) much of it is so out of your control. So that makes perfect sense. 
is hard for me because I'm a total control freak. So, yes. um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, my, I named my website chasing creation and I think that was kind of the idea is, okay, like I really suck at creating babies. That's obvious by now. Like I'm not good at it, <laughs> but like, that's not the only thing that we can like birth and create in this world. And so for me, I, I look at different forms of creation and where I can add those into my life. So again, that's like creating relationships, creating a beautiful home. I also have a job that I love. So I actually work for a nonprofit that does advocacy around children's issues. So working on creating policy change for kids, both here in the U.S. and abroad. And um, so I get a lot great. of like joy and meaning from that. That's so great. Yeah. And then honestly, like even just doing the chasing creation stuff has been so healing and such a great thing for me because I think like, even when you're reading back to me, things that I said, I was getting teary and I think I was too, (laughs) (laughs) but it's weird because it's like what I said, but I think it's because like, sometimes when I'm putting those messages out there, I'm actually putting out what I need to hear. Yeah. And what happens is I put that out there I get this echo of, you know, all of these women who have experienced similar things coming back and saying like, yeah, this is how I feel too. And, you know, validating that. And then it makes me feel stronger. So I think just having that community and being able to connect with others who have experienced something similar to me and who have not only survived it, but gone on to create beautiful, fulfilling lives. It's, it's been very healing. So those are the main areas that I've been kind of putting emphasis on the last year. Yeah. I mean, I love it. It's, and it does sound like you've got a beautiful, fulfilled life. And another thing that, you know, another thing you said on one of your boards that you posted was I'm childless, not loveless. And I love that. Yeah. I love that too. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Katie and Katie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. You're super brave. You're super amazing. And your life is beautiful. And I'm so glad that you shared a bit of it with us today. I also want to give a plug to my other side hustle, which is fertility rally. This is an event that's coming up that I'm hosting with Blair from fab fertility. Some of you might know if you follow us on Instagram, but just wanted to let you guys know if you haven't already please go to instagram at fertility rally sign up for our mailing list get more info we're gonna have this amazing event in october we cannot wait and i hope to see you all there so thanks so much talk to you guys next time